the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. May his grace and his blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages, amen. Brothers and sisters, I greet you today on this beautiful day, which is the fourth Sunday of the great and holy fast. And on this day, which is called the Sunday of the Samaritan Woman, we hear the Samaritan woman telling our Lord Jesus Christ that the well is deep. And her words here are a prophecy concerning the depth and the beauty of this fantastic story that we could speak about for days on end. It is truly a deep well of living water. And by now we are all familiar with this amazing story. Our Lord Jesus Christ was traveling from Judea to Galilee and in order for him to make this journey, he had to travel through a place called Samaria. And in Samaria, there lived a people who, in a sense, worshipped God, but in another sense, they did not really worship him. The Samaritans were semi-pagans. Some of them worshipped God as the Jews understood, but they added some pagan elements that God had specifically prohibited. And so their religion was a mixture of belief in the true God and also false religion. The scenario is not unlike many of the hybrid religions that we have today, such as the cults of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. These cults take some of the aspects of Christianity, but they add many other pagan and Gnostic elements to them so that the end result is nothing like Christianity but instead it is something altogether different. And this is how the Samaritans lived. This is who they were. And as our Lord passed through Samaria, he was wearied, he was tired. And so he came to Jacob's well and waited. And at noon, the hottest point of the day, a woman came to draw water from the well. Our Lord said to her, give me a drink. And at this point, we should stop and meditate on our first point. Give me a drink. These words that our Lord says to the Samaritan woman when he first sees her. We know from today's gospel reading by the end that our Lord is the source of living water. He is the one who quenches all thirst. And yet, even though he is the source of living water, we see him asking the Samaritan woman, give me a drink. So if he is the source of the living water, how is it he, that he asks for water from her? The fathers of the church answer this question for us. St. Augustine teaches us specifically that Christ thirsted for the Samaritan woman's faith. Christ thirsted for the Samaritan woman's faith. He was thirsty for her to come to him in faith and to believe in him. Another Western father writes that Christ thirsted for salvation. He was thirsty not for the water of this world, but for the redemption of the human race. So what our Lord hungers and thirsts for is not the food and drink that we know, but instead he seeks faith in virtue and acts of mercy. And we see an example of this in Matthew 25 where our Lord says, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. How could Christ, the bread of life himself, who came into the world, the one who nourishes all, how could he be hungry? 
because it's not actual food that Christ hungers for, but it is the action of a compassionate soul that gives food to a hungry person who has no access to money or food. He hungers for compassion. And this is why our Savior says in the Gospel, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So in other words, when we practice compassion, when we have mercy on others, we are considered to have fed Christ himself. After our Lord asks the Samaritan woman for a drink, an intense dialogue begins between them. And it is on this dialogue that I would like to spend the rest of our time. She essentially answers our Lord by saying, Sir, why would you want to speak with me? Our Lord then speaks to her about this idea of water, but not just any water, but living water. The Samaritan woman pursues this idea, but first only in a worldly way, because she answers our Lord, Sir, you have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. So where then do you get that living water? Our Lord continuing answering her with all patience and humility, slowly taking her away from the worldly and, and transporting her to the heavenly. He replied, whoever drinks of this worldly water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The Samaritan woman started to understand things a little bit, but only a little she wanted this living water of which Christ spoke, so she said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. The living water, the gift of God that our Lord spoke about, of course, is the Holy Spirit, which becomes in us a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. St. John Chrysostomus, he teaches us that throughout the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as fire and other times as water. And this does not mean that the Holy Spirit is literally fire and water, but instead these are symbols for how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit is called fire because he warms the soul through grace and purges our souls from sin. He is called water because he cleanses our souls and grants us refreshment. Anyone who asks and receives the Holy Spirit is refreshed. St. John uses the image of our souls as gardens, thick with all kinds of fruitful trees that are continually watered by the Holy Spirit. And he teaches us the Holy Spirit quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is the gift of God that our Lord was speaking about to the Samaritan woman. And she desired this gift of God greatly, but there was a problem in her life. She did not understand our Lord Jesus Christ, and not only did she understand him fully, but more importantly, she was living a life full of sin. And in fact, the one caused the other. Because she was living a life full of sin, she was unable to understand the heavenly things of which our Lord spoke. We cannot forget that the Samaritan woman was ascending to the swell in the severe heat of the day. 
She wasn't doing this for convenience's sake because the rational thing would be to get water early in the morning with everyone else. But she did this because she didn't want to be seen by anyone because of her sin. Her sin was a scandal in her society. Even though the Samaritans practiced a religion that was a hybrid between paganism and Judaism, her life was still considered scandalous during that time. And this is maybe a new concept for us living today because we live in a society where there is no such thing as scandal. Everything is relativistic. As long as you have your own truth, the world says you're okay, as long as you don't hurt anyone else. But in those days, it mattered how a person lived. It mattered what kind of morals they had. And her life at this time was considered scandalous. She had five husbands before, and she was now living illicitly with a sixth man who was not her husband. And everyone in the small town of Sychar knew this, and no one approved of her life. So she carried this intense dialogue with our Lord Jesus Christ, but she did it as she was essentially hiding as a result of her sin. And you know, this is not the only time throughout the Holy Scriptures in which we see an intense dialogue that leads to a woman hiding. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about the dialogue between our ancestor Eve and the crafty serpent, the very dialogue that led to the fall of humanity. The dialogue between Eve and the serpent took place, according to Genesis 3.8, in the cool of the day, compared to the dialogue between our Lord and the Samaritan woman, which took place in the heat of the day. Eve and the serpent did not speak about living water, but instead they spoke about the fruit of the tree of life. In the conversation between our Lord and the Samaritan woman, our Lord gave the Samaritan woman the truth about the living water, that it would lead to everlasting life. But in the conversation between the serpent and Eve, the serpent deceived Eve into believing that the fruit would lead to life, but actually, as we know, it led to death. After Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and realized their sin, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. Why did they do this? Because they had sinned. They had disobeyed his commandment. They were ashamed. And for this reason, when the Lord himself came to them in the garden walking, they hid themselves from his presence. And likewise, the Samaritan woman was also hiding because of her sin, because she was ashamed and embarrassed. And here we see the consequences of sin, or at least one of them. Whenever we sin, we hide ourselves not only from God, but also from others as well, and also from ourselves. We see this in the life of the Samaritan woman. And we even saw it last week when I spoke to you about the prodigal son. You remember that he went into a distant land, and that distant land symbolized his departure away from himself, not only his father. He left himself to lead a life that was not him. 
he came out of himself. And when he finally realized his mistake, the gospel says he came to himself. So sin makes us leave ourselves. It makes us go against our very nature. It makes us different. But when we come to God, we come to repentance, as we read, he came to himself. And likewise, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. When the Samaritan woman sinned, she hid from other people and from God. And so we see that this is what sin makes us do. And this is why the Holy Church speaks to us about sin as being separation. And so perhaps a question that we can all ask ourselves today is, what are we hiding from? Are we hiding from anything in our lives? Is there anything about which we are ashamed? And if the answer is yes, then there is a good chance that there is a deep, unresolved sin somewhere in our souls. And the answer to that sin brings us to our next point, which is repentance. At this point in our story, we see an amazing turn of events. The Samaritan woman could not understand completely the living water that the Lord was speaking about because her sin dulled her senses. So our Lord skillfully asks her an innocent question. Go, call your husband and come here. Now I told you earlier that the Samaritan woman was hiding from others because of her sin, but at this point she tries to hide from Christ. She tries to hide from God as well. When our Lord asks her to call her husband, she simply replies, I have no husband. She was being elusive here. She was hiding her sin from God. And so our Lord, the knower of hearts, he calmly says to her with great compassion, you have well said. He praises her even though she was being elusive. Such is the compassion of our Savior. He praises her. He focuses on the good in her answer. But then he reveals what is really going on in her life. He says, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Did you notice this, brothers and sisters? This fact about the Samaritan woman's marriages was not revealed by her in the gospel. It was revealed by Christ, who had just met her for the first time. And so our Lord tells her all that she has done and her sins. And she says, amazingly, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She is growing in her knowledge of Christ. Who among us today, when someone tells us specific details, about our sins, the things that we have hidden from, our, from other people, who among us would have reacted in the same way? With the vast majority of people in the world today, the conversation most likely would have ended at this point. It would have ended with some saying like, well, you don't know me, and then we would have walked away, and that would have been it. If the Samaritan woman had behaved in the expected way, she would have stormed off and become defensive in the conversation. According to our modern standard, she had every right to cut off the conversation right there and leave without receiving anything from our Savior. 
And yet the Samaritan woman's response is full of humility and acceptance. In that very instance, she repented. If you want to know the moment of her repentance, that is it. In only a moment, she accepted Christ and repented of her sins. And no longer did she hide from God, because immediately afterwards, once she was confronted with her sins, and she said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, the first thing she did was she went and she asked to hear the word of the Lord more. She wanted to hear the word of God, not hide from him any longer. And not only that, but she didn't want to hide from others at this point anymore because she ran to the very people who judged her, the very people who shunned her in society because of her sin, and she evangelized them. She preached Christ to them. She brought them to Christ with confidence, not embarrassment or humiliation. No longer did she hide from herself or from Christ or even from others. But instead, in great humility, she admitted her sin to everyone in her town, and she brought them to Christ. So in other words, in this instant, when she repented and accepted the responsibility of her sins, she was freed from her sins. She was freed from the shame she felt in front of God, she was freed from the public humiliation that she endured from others around her. She was freed from the task of having to get water at noon, the hottest point of the day, every day. She was free through Christ. And such, my brothers and sisters, is the power of true confession and repentance. This freedom is available to each and every one of us all we have to do is ask, and the same freedom is given to us. Now, what can we learn from all of this, from this intense dialogue between our Savior and the Samaritan woman? Today, we find ourselves more or less halfway in our journey of the great and holy fast. And so we can learn a few points from this beautiful story to help us as we continue the first point we learn is that God oftentimes places himself in our paths. In the beginning of the story, we saw how our Lord passed through Samaria and waited by the well until the Samaritan woman came. Our Lord put himself in her path so that he might save her. So whenever we are in need, whether we know it or not, our Lord comes, and he places himself in our path. He did so with Saul on the road to Damascus when Saul was in need of understanding and conversion to the light of Christianity. He did so with the sinful woman who was about to be stoned. He put himself between her, her accusers and the sinful woman and her, and he saved her. And in fact, he did so with all of humanity through his incarnation. Because after humanity fell and we brought upon the consequences of sin, which is death, and that enslavement to the devil, he came and he intersected our history by entering our history. 
God who is without beginning and without end, who is before the ages, for him time is a creation. For us we have past, present, and future, but for God it's all present. There is no past, there is no future with God. It's all present because he created time. And yet the God who created time and history entered into time and history to intersect with our human history and to save us through his life-giving incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. He placed himself in our path as human beings. And our Lord does the same for us today on even a personal level. Whenever we sin, the Lord keeps the doors of repentance open and he waits for us just as he waited for the Samaritan woman. There are no barriers that can block the doors of repentance. Let us not forget that our Lord tore down the barriers that existed between him and the Samaritan woman. As a Jew, as a male in his humanity, he wasn't supposed to speak to her. As a man, he wasn't supposed to have any dealings with her, especially since she lived a sinful life. And yet he broke down all of those barriers and our Lord was able to pass into the life of the Samaritan woman and show her the doors of repentance. And the message of today's story is not simply that God places himself in our paths, but perhaps more importantly, it instructs us in our response to God. Today, like I said, we need to ask ourselves whether we are hiding from God hiding from others, and hiding from ourselves due to sin? If the answer is yes, for whatever reason, then we need to ask ourselves why we haven't repented. What is holding us back from repentance? Our Lord exposed all of the Samaritan woman's sins, and she repented immediately because for her, the mention of these sins was not a negative action, but rather it was a positive action that led to her freedom. That was the living water. It led her to everlasting life. But for us, oftentimes, even the mention of our sins we consider to be negative, and we shy away from repentance and confession. Do we participate in these holy mysteries that the Lord has given us? Do we view our conversation with our Father of Confession as something positive? Or is it something negative, something humiliating and embarrassing and shameful, something I don't want to do, only when I'm forced to do it, I do it? No, for her it was something positive, and likewise, it should be something positive for us. And finally, dear brothers and sisters, I would like to take from the story the point that we should constantly have this intense dialogue with Christ in our lives. Our Lord put himself in the path of the Samaritan woman, and he began this intense dialogue. He started the conversation with her, but she continued asking Christ for more and more instruction. And even after he told her about her sins, she wanted to hear more and more from him. She even went into her town and evangelized all of the people who she was hiding from earlier 
so that they could likewise have an intense dialogue with Christ as well. And as we heard at the end of the gospel, they finally tell her, we believe not because of what you said only, but we ourselves have spoken with him and have heard and know that he is the Christ who has come into the world. In the same way, our Lord Jesus Christ has started this conversation with each and every one of us. This conversation started on the day of our baptism. This is the beginning of our dialogue between, with, with the Lord, the dialogue between the Lord and us. And it's up to us in our lives whether we're going to continue this dialogue or not. It's up to us whether this dialogue is going to be intense, whether we want to hear more and be in his presence more or not. Today, it is the time for us to be like the Samaritan woman and continually seek our Lord more and more, to seek him through his word, to seek him through the Holy Scriptures, to seek him through our prayers, to seek him through participation in the life of the church, in the mysteries of the church. If we do this, and if we do this correctly, our Lord will grant to us the water the living water that will spring up within us into everlasting life. And what was the result in the life of the Samaritan woman? As I mentioned yesterday, we know her name from Orthodox tradition, Saint Fotini, which comes from the Greek word phos, which means light, because she was illuminated by Christ. She left that man with whom she lived and she became a missionary, and she evangelized all over the known world. Until this woman, who met Christ at a well, came before the Roman Emperor Nero. And when she decided that she would not abandon her faith in Christ, the woman who met Christ at a well was martyred by being thrown into a well by the Roman Emperor Nero for the sake of her love for Christ. And so we see that her life came full circle. And the one she met at the well, the one that she loved with all her heart, she died for him likewise in a well because she received that living water from him. Likewise, brothers and sisters, let us also be the one who comes and places himself in our paths. Let us have this dialogue with him and let us never abandon him even until death. And glory be to God forever. Amen.